Well, good morning. Uh, we hope everyone here had a Merry Christmas, and I want to say welcome to our campuses in Washington and Robinson in Wilkinsburg, Rostraver, and DeBerry. Good morning to everyone at our campuses. Uh, I was talking to someone in the lobby uh, after last service, and we were saying, doesn't the week between Christmas and New Year's just seem like a blur? Like, you don't even know what day it is, what time it is. It's just this, this random uh, week. And it's kind of nice to, to rest and uh, just uh, take a break from the routine of the, the daily week. Uh, we want to praise God, though. I had great reports from all our campuses uh, for all the Christmas Eve services. We thank you for all who came, all those who invited guests to our services, and to all those who served. And as we said here in the South Hills, this is our last time. Uh, worshiping together as a body for 2019. So we want to finish strong. And that means we want to hear from the Lord. So let's pray and ask God to lead us this morning. Father, we, we thank you for today. And uh, Father, again, we praise you for the week we had at the Bible Chapel across all our campuses. Uh, the many people who maybe came to, to our church for the first time. Many who heard the message of Jesus Christ for the first time. God, we pray that all those who came, you will continue to use that, that time in your word uh, on Christmas Eve to work in the hearts of every individual who is present for our services and that you would use our campuses, us as a local church, to continue to engage those uh, who came and, and continue, as we'll talk about uh, today, uh, to do everything we can to, to develop followers of Jesus Christ here at the Bible Chapel. Father, as we close uh, another year and enter into a new decade of ministry as a church. Uh, we pray that you would teach us today as only you can. So as always, Lord, uh, let the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be honoring and pleasing to you, O God. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to begin today with asking you a, a question. Uh, those who know you the best, they see you when you're not on your Sunday best, and they really know the real you, I want to ask you this question. If those closest to you were asked to describe the real you in one sentence, what would they say? What words would they use to describe the real you? Let me change the ending to that question. If those closest to you were asked to describe the real you in one sentence, what would you desire, they say? Who do you truly desire to be? If you've been with us for this entire Christmas series that we've entitled Real Christmas, we've looked at individuals in the biblical Christmas narrative to, to unpack the themes of Advent. We, we looked at Joseph to, to understand what it means to experience real hope in Christ. We looked at the wise men and what it means to experience real joy. Simeon experienced real peace. And last weekend, Anna experienced real love in Christ. Today, we're going to wrap up to close this series and really bring it all together and focus on what it means to be the real you, who God desires you to be in relationship to his son. And the individual we are going to look at today is John the Baptist. And going back to the question, 
If those closest to you were asked to describe the real you in one sentence, what would they say? We're going to observe five descriptive words about John that every believer in Jesus Christ should desire to have in their one real you sentence. So as we unpack who John was, we're going to ask ourselves, does this also describe the real me? If you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. That is where we're going to camp out this morning. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all give a lot of detail about John the Baptist. Matthew and Mark focus on the ministry of John. Specifically, they also share how John baptized Jesus. Luke, in addition to the ministry of John, an account of his ministry, Luke also gave us the the biblical birth narrative of John right alongside the birth narrative of Jesus. Now, when we get to the Gospel of John, John does not focus at all on on the birth narrative of Jesus or John. Instead, he opens up in John chapter 1 with this deep theological framework on the being and nature of Jesus. Who is Jesus, fully God fully man. He, he tells us in verses 1 through 18 that Jesus is the word. He, he is the creator of the world. He is the life. He is the light. He says he is the word full of grace and truth. And amazingly, in this deep theological uh, section of scripture, he also brings up another man. He brings up John the Baptist. And we see one word throughout the Gospel of John that describes who John was. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 as we start to examine John. There was a man sent from John, who's, from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And if you go to verse 15... John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Church history, we know him as John the Baptist. In scripture though, if we unpacked his life, more accurately we would describe him as John the witness. Chapter one of of the Gospel of John describes John the Baptist as a witness six times. And when Jesus explained the importance of John's ministry and to prepare the way for his ministry, he used that same word. Jesus said in John 5, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know the testimony, testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. So as we begin to to develop this one real you sentence for John, again, we're going to reflect ourselves. Does this describe the real you? The first thing is this. John was a witness for Jesus. This word witness describes the calling of every believer who wants to make an impact for Jesus Christ. And when someone trusts in Jesus Christ alone as their Lord and Savior, you automatically become a witness for Jesus. So we could say the first description we all have as believers. We are all in some manner a witness for Jesus. As we see in verse 7, it describes not only who we are, but also what we do. 
We read, John came as a witness, that's the noun form in the Greek, martyria, which describes who he was. He was a witness, and as a witness, he bore witness. That's the verb form, meaning it described what he did. He provided evidence for Jesus, as that verse says, that all might believe through him. Here's the deal. As believers, every single one of us is a witness for Jesus. That's a given. The question is, what kind of witness are you? What kind of witness, Monday through Sunday, are you for Jesus Christ? We're going to see in verses 19 through 42, the apostle John unpacks now the type of witness John the Baptist was. And let's see if any of these descriptive words match up to who we are, the real me, today as a witness for Jesus. So let's look at verses 19 through 23 as we unpack this. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to them, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John's witness was so popular in the region that the religious officials in Jerusalem said, go check out this guy, find out who he is. And I love that as these officials question John, his answers get shorter and shorter. You can sense his annoyance. I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you a prophet? No. He wants the attention, as we always see with John, off himself. He wants it on, on Jesus, the Messiah, to come. And finally, they say, well, John, we traveled all this way. We have to give some answer when we report back. Who in the world are you? And it says that, that John shared, I am the one that the prophet Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before I was born. I am a messenger to prepare the way for the Messiah. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 43, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John was the forerunner mentioned in the Old Testament who would prepare the way, the ministry of the Messiah to come. Jesus affirmed that this is who John was called to be in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus quotes Malachi here who wrote 400 years before the birth of John that he would be the one to prepare the way for his ministry. Matthew 11:10, Jesus says, this is he, John, of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And I love I love that the Apostle John, speaking of John the Baptist, says in verse 20, John confessed and did not deny, but confessed. And then he went on to make sure it was crystal clear who he was. When we read about John's ministry, he boldly proclaimed who he was in relationship to Jesus. Right? He did not back down once. The first description of John when it comes to a witness is this. 
John was a bold witness for Jesus. Does that describe the real you? Are you a bold witness for Jesus? John never backed down from his identity in Christ. It was so obvious by his lifestyle, his words, his actions, that people were taking notice, asking questions, and traveling to see him. John's ministry dominated an entire region. Luke puts it this way in Luke 3.3, and he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We, we see John, he's, he's called John the Baptist, but man, the work of baptism was just his avenue to be who he was, a bold witness for Jesus. His baptism was anticipatory in preparation of the Messiah to come. As a bold witness to Jesus, he was calling people, as Luke says, proclaiming the truth of the Messiah to come and calling people to life transformation. He was saying, come, prepare your hearts now before the Messiah shows up. Turn from your sin, live for God, and point your eyes on the Messiah to come. He was boldly proclaiming through his ministry of repentance, of baptism, that people would repent and turn to the one to come. A bold witness for Jesus today does not have to sell everything you have and go do mission work in some other continent. That's great if God calls you to that. But most of us in this room, that's not what we're going to do. Maybe a bold witness for Jesus in this room over the new year walks across the street and engages their neighbor they've known for years and finally says, I've been meaning for a long time to share with you the most important aspect of my life. Can I tell you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus? Students, a bold witness for Jesus holds firm to your identity in Christ doesn't let any boyfriend, girlfriend dictate that, stands up for Christ in the locker room on your drama team, maybe even in the new year you say, you know what, I'm gonna start a Bible study before school once a week. I'm gonna take that step of faith and invite my friends to join me. Or maybe, maybe that friend you've been close to for years who knows you go to this church called the Bible Chapel, you say, I'm finally gonna invite them to youth group I'm going to invite them to come to church with me. And here's the deal. As bold witnesses for Jesus, it does mean you're most likely going to have to take some risks. John was questioned. He was attacked. He was eventually imprisoned. And because of his bold witness for Jesus, eventually killed. You might be the only witness for Jesus in your own home. You might be the only witness for Jesus in the department you work for at your company. You might be the only witness for Jesus in your classroom. And standing up and proclaiming Christ as the center of your life, yeah, that's gonna take some risk. It might even risk the comfortable relationship we have with those closest with us. It might be that family member. It might be that friend that you've been close to for 30 years. But what a shame if in those 30 years 
You never once put the relationship on the line by asking the question, I love you enough to ask you, do you know without a doubt when you die where you will spend eternity? I've been wanting to ask you that for years. I've been afraid to do so because I don't want to mess up what we have, but it's too important. It's too important to ask you that question. More than any identity we pursue, dad, mom, son, daughter, accountant, teacher, sales manager, may the first identity we cling to be bold witness for Jesus. Like John with baptism, that everything else in our life, our family, our career, our community, that's just the avenue to be who you're truly called to be, a bold witness for Jesus. Let's continue to write this sentence for John and look at verses 24 through 28. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? John, if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah, nor the prophet, why are you baptizing? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So we find out that these officials, these priests who were sent, were sent from the Pharisees. This was the religious elite sect of Judaism who held to the strict interpretation of the law. And they say, this guy has no credentials to do what he's doing. Go ask him who he is. If he's not the Christ, he's not Elijah, he's not even a prophet, how dare he do these things? And I love how John... He doesn't point to himself. He doesn't list his resume on why he should be doing what he's doing. He again deflects all attention right back to Jesus. Second thing about John, he was bold, but he was a humble, bold witness for Jesus. Humility and boldness, they seem like they should not go together, but man, as followers of Christ, they are beautiful when they do. John was bold. He proclaimed, but he wasn't obnoxious and he never self-exalted himself. John says, the thing that you're calling me out for, this baptism, and you're asking me if I'm the Christ, if, if I'm Elijah, look, look, compared to the Messiah, I am so unworthy of him that the lowliest act of a servant, the untying of the rabbi's dirty shoes, I'm not even worthy to do that for this guy. There is nothing I could do for Jesus that I am worthy to truly do. Man, is that the heart of every believer at the Bible Chapel? There is no task that God could ask me to do for his church that I would say, huh, no way, I'm up here now. I've been serving God for 20 years. I'm not going to do that. That's for a new believer. I serve in children's or student ministry not because I want a pat on the back and not because I feel guilty because my kids go there, so I better serve at least once a month. Now I'm so humble, so humble that God allows me to speak into and develop the next generation of followers of Jesus Christ. I am so unworthy 
to serve his church. I lead that small group that I love. I lead it not for my attention or, or so I can lead my study. I, mean, I, I lead it because I want this group of 12 to truly experience care and con connection. I want them to, to go right through me and experience Jesus. Man, that's what drives me every week to prepare that lesson and to, to think through those questions. How can I engage my group to experience more of Jesus? I serve on Connections team, not because I want attention, but man, when that newcomer comes through our door at any campus, I want to exemplify to them what it means to experience the love and care and connection that I have with my Savior, Jesus Christ. I run tech. I play an instrument on stage. I sing on stage. I preach God's word. Not so people can notice me, but my worship and song or word is all Jesus-focused. I want people to see right through me and to Jesus Christ. Let's all be honest with ourselves for a moment. What truly drives you to show up here every weekend? Is it about me and what Jesus's church can do for me? Or is it, man, I am so unworthy to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. I can't wait to get to worship. I can't wait to serve. I can't wait to use my gifts. Man, I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy to represent Jesus in his church. And is there anything that could be asked of you like untying one's sandals and washing their feet, that you would say, mm, kind of too, too elevated for that. Humble, bold witness for Jesus. Honest moment, I was reflecting in my decade here at the chapel, whether it was in college ministry, student ministry, uh, five plus years in Wilkinsburg and, and blessed in my past year as associate pastor. And in an honest moment, I'm thinking through, no matter what ministry it was, usually those who complain the most are usually those who actually aren't even serving at all. May we check our hearts as we enter into a new year. And may our mission when it comes to being a part of the church of Christ be what John said in John 3.30. May Jesus always increase and may I always decrease. May the attention always be about Jesus. Let's keep going. Look at verses 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness and said, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this man walking towards us is the son of God. So, Today is a big day in Pittsburgh. The Steelers must win, Titans must lose, or we're out. We're out. 
And of course, it's Steelers versus the Ravens, right? 425, many will be watching that game. So, so two weekends ago, my buddy invited me to the Steelers and Bills game, and that was the first game I've been to in a while. And I forgot how crazy Heinz Field is on Steelers Sunday. It is crazy. It's, it's an experience in and of itself. And there's one moment in the game that happens every home game that the stadium gets so loud, so much excitement. It is something you have to experience. And it started back in 2002. So back in 2002, the Steelers were playing the Browns in a playoff game and it wasn't going too well. By the second half, they were losing 24 to seven. The Steelers uh, lost another possession. They punted the ball away and at the commercial break, the stadium was dead. The fans were depressed. So the Jumbotron crew made a move that forever changed the Steelers. They played the song Renegade during the commercial break. It's a song that starts out slow, but about 40 seconds in, it picks up. And for some reason that day, it got the crowd excited. They started waving their terrible towels and they were going crazy. Somehow that moment sparked something in the team. And in the fourth quarter, the Steelers outscored the Browns 22 to nine to win the game. The tradition of renegade, every game was cemented. So if you go to a game now during the third quarter or fourth quarter of every game, like I experienced when they played the Bills two weeks ago, there's a moment in the game where the screen goes black, completely black, and everyone there knows it's renegade time. A video montage is about to play of defensive hits and the crowd goes crazy. You weren't there with me, but I wanna bring the experience here for a moment. So check out this clip from 2016 versus the Patriots when it was renegade time. Check this out. Anyone pumped up? I'm ready to tackle Tom Brady. You guys ready? Probably pull a hamstring on the way, but. But I was thinking, man, 70, it doesn't matter if they're losing or winning. 70,000 fans, the moment they see the screen go black, they erupt. Excitement like no other. John, who's usually a subdued guy, who, who says one to three word answers to the religious officials when he talks about his identity. I'm not the Christ. I am not. No. But the moment he sees Jesus, it's like he's a fan right there. There he is, he says, with exclamation. There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away. The, do you guys see him? He's right there, the one. There he is. There is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Like a, like a kid on Christmas morning. 
You cannot control the excitement of John when it came to experience Jesus. That's the other thing we see about him. Is that the real us? Excited, humble, bold witnesses for Jesus. John goes on this rant. He usually has short answers, but when he gets to Jesus, he says, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He connects to Exodus chapter 12 with the Passover lamb. He says, there's the final sacrifice for sin. There he is, do not miss him. And he says, he's the one. He's the one who comes and ranks before me because he was before me. He says, he's the Messiah. He's the preexistent son of God. He's right there, do not miss him. He says, he's the one, you've been questioning me about my baptism, he's the whole purpose behind it. It's to reveal him to you, Israel, that's him. There's the one. And he says, when I, when I uh, baptized Jesus, I said, no way, Jesus baptized me. But when he insisted, he says, the spirit of God revealed to me that greater than my ministry of baptism with water, that this man, he would baptize with the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning when you trust in Jesus, the spirit of the living God dwells within you. He says, and I knew, I knew all this ministry that I was used to prepare for had come. There he is. Man, John twice in verse 29 and 36, the only time we see an exclamation point in this story is when John locked eyes on Jesus. He said, there he is. He's it. He's everything I want. He's everything I desire. He's everything I find purpose in. So do we see Jesus physically walking down the street towards us every day? No. Be really cool, but no. But he is just as present today as he was with John. We have what John doesn't have. We have the completed word of the living God. How many of us each day say, I get to experience more of Jesus today. I get to learn more about who he is. I get to hear more about God's love story and how he sent his son to die for me. I have the spirit of God living within me because of Jesus who baptized me with the Holy Spirit when I trusted in him as the Lord and Savior. I am empowered by the spirit of God to live for Jesus. When I walk through the front doors of my campus, man, I can't wait to go to church. It's all about Jesus. I can't wait to serve. I can't wait to use my gifts because it's all about Jesus. When I give, I don't reluctantly write that check. I'm so thankful how God has blessed me that I can give back to him. Man, it's all about Jesus. And I can't help. Like John, John, as we'll see, he's standing amongst a bunch of people. And he could care less about how they viewed him. I feel like some of them are like, who is this? Where'd John go? Who is this guy? He could care less. It was like Jesus was the only one in that space. He wanted to share Jesus. Man, how excited do we get to share Jesus with those who don't know him? I can't help it. I can't help it because of what he's done in my life. And when we hear about someone trusting in Christ, how excited do we get to hear about that? We talk about that a lot as a staff. 
Man, we got to find a new way to celebrate when someone believes in Jesus. There, sometimes we say, so-and-so believed in Jesus, great, and I go on to my ne next task. Whoa, time out. That's the most exciting news you could ever get. There goes Jesus doing his thing again, changing lives for eternity. Man, I love this account of John. This guy who's serious, kind of dressed weird, short answers often. He goes on an excited rant when he sees Jesus walking towards him. One more section to finish this real you sentence of John. Look at verses 35 through 42. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and walked by and again he says, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The final thing we see about John in this section of scripture is that he produced disciples. John exemplified what it looked like to be a humble, bold witness for Jesus who was excited every day to experience Jesus. That, that it was contagious. People wanted to follow him. I want what this guy has. And he was intentional in developing other followers of Jesus Christ. So here, here's the final part of that real use sentence for John. He was an excited, humble, bold witness for Jesus who multiplied himself. Let me ask you, who are you investing in? As a believer, how have you positioned yourself to multiply yourself? Are you even connected to biblical community? We say this often to, to our campuses. If you're only here to worship on Saturday or Sunday, you're missing out to the full calling that God has for you in your life. Have you gone through Living Grounded? We say this often. Living Grounded is our 12-week discipleship starter that we want to take you through to instill the biblical truths of God's word. But that's not an end. That is to equip you so then you can go and disciple someone else. Invest in someone else. Are you connected to a small group at any one of our campuses? As a church grows, that small group setting is where you find connection and care and often where you start investing in one another. We've been talking as we enter into 2020 as a church, we're going to be looking at our, our small group ministry. We know we got to do better as leadership, as making it visible and easier for people to get connected in community. Are you serving? I keep coming back to that, but I'm telling you, so when Kristen and I, 13 years ago, when we were on the fence of joining this church that we were going to, we decided just to jump in to serve before we knew anyone. And it's amazing when you just start serving and using your gifts, how you rub elbows with other believers. You start investing in one another. I still have relationships today from men who 
started pouring into me when we just decided, let's serve. And God used that to build discipleship relationships. So first, John had disciples. And the second thing, which I love about him, he released them to Jesus. In verse 36, after he says, there's Jesus, we, we hear that there are these two disciples who just say, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. We don't see John say, time out, you're my disciples, get back here. Where are you going? John, John had no desire to build his own kingdom. He was perfectly satisfied to have these men leave him and follow Jesus. And think about the impact for the church in this moment. Look at verses 40 and 41. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Church history often says we should thank Andrew. Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus and, and Peter was the one that, that Christ used to build the foundation of his church. But who introduced Andrew to Jesus? John. From John, Andrew met Jesus. Through Andrew, Peter met Jesus. And through the leadership of Peter and the other leaders of the foundation of, of the church, we stand here today, 2,000 years later, and it's our turn. Who's going to be your Andrew that you invest in in 2020? I think a hidden tragedy in the church is those who develop for years, maybe in the same Sunday school class or same small group for 20 years. And that is great. I'm not saying break up that group. Community and care is great. But they never branch off to develop the next followers of Jesus Christ. It's like having 12 John the Baptist together getting smarter every week instead of breaking off and making 12 groups of 12 and investing in that next wave of followers of Jesus Christ. May we be a multiplying church, not because we want to grow church attendance, but because we want to see more souls come to saving faith in Jesus and to develop as followers of Jesus Christ. So let me, let me wrap this up by going back to that question we started with. If those closest to you were asked to describe the real you in one sentence, what would they say? Well, would any of that description of John fit you? An excited, humble, bold witness for Jesus who multiplies themselves. John, man, John is an excited, humble, bold witness for Jesus who multiplies himself. Sarah, humble, excited, bold witness for Jesus who multiplies herself. As we enter 2020, forget another year, we're entering another decade, another decade. And we have no idea what the 2020s will hold for the Bible chapel. There are many things that are outside of our control. We know God has a plan. So what can we control? Well, can we control every day waking up excited to experience Jesus and live for him? Absolutely. Can we make the decision to be bold for him in the next decade? Can we humbly say each day we gather together, it's not for me, it's for him. And can we as one church be committed to developing more followers of Jesus Christ 
10 years from now, whoever's standing here delivering the last message of 2029, may they look back and say, man, those 10 years, the Bible chapel was full of a bunch of excited, humble, bold witnesses for Jesus. And there are people who aren't even connected to our church right now who will be in these seats because we were committed to multiplying ourselves. We're going to end, and I'm going to close uh, for the campuses. I'm going to let them go as they close at their campus. And we're going to end with the song we sang earlier. Let this truly, truly be the anthem of our hearts as we enter into another decade of ministry together. God, we want your will. We want your way. God, do whatever you want to do. Come move at the Bible Chapel. Come reign over our church. And it begins right here. God, I'm giving you my heart. You have my everything as I enter into this new decade of ministry. Please stand as we close with song.
pray with you after service. Our prayer team will be out front. Uh, if you're willing to come up, we would love to pray for you. Let's, let's close in prayer together. Father, um, as we go this morning and uh, as we enter the, the final part of 2019 and enter into a new year, there, there's many in this room who look back at 2019 and it was a, it was a fantastic year. They celebrated uh, maybe getting married, maybe the, the birth of a child, maybe a, a refreshing start to their career, maybe, the, maybe an anniversary together. And for some, 2019 is a year they would like to forget. Maybe some had a, a broken relationship occur in 2019. Maybe, maybe some lost a dad, mom, a, a husband, a wife, a, a son or daughter. Maybe some here today are, are looking for that next step in their career. They're jobless and wondering what's next. God, we all have different experiences in this life and and as we enter 2020, regardless of our circumstances, may we be focused on that one thing you call us to do, which is to represent your son, Jesus Christ, that we would be a united church who encourages one another to get excited for Jesus. It doesn't mean we don't mourn, we don't grieve, we don't go through a series of emotions through each week and each month and the next year, but man, it will not dictate our joy we have in Jesus. May we be humble, willing to serve him like never before and point all of the attention off ourselves to him. Let's be bold. Let's, let's take those chances that we were so close to doing last year. we say, you know what, that's it. I'm finally gonna go for it when it comes to sharing about Jesus. And maybe be a multiplying church that many in 2020 will come to a saving faith in your son as you use this local body to be witnesses for Jesus. Father, as we go, we do not leave from your presence. We are united by your spirit. And we just thank you for this final moment of worship we had as one body in 2019. And we are excited to see what you do in the year and decade ahead. It's in Jesus' name we pray.